The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Training camps are here, football is back, and the Pick 6 NFL podcast will be with you all preseason, just like they've been in your podcast inbox every day throughout the offseason. Join host Will Brinson daily to catch up on the latest from around the league with an added fantasy and gambling twist. Make sure that you're ready for the 2019 NFL season and download and subscribe to the Pick 6 podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson, and we are wrapping up the ACC's time here in our Win Totals preseason series, award-winning Win Totals preseason series. Thank you so much for all the listeners and the subscribers who continue to consume this content with a fervor unknown to mankind. Barton, I've been I've been checking up on the stats and I'm I'm very pleased and they the the hunger is continuing to build as we work our way towards you know the Big Ten next week, the SEC the following week, win totals locks coming up. We got so much of uh, a breakdown of all of our different ballots that we're gonna have to turn in. I mean, we we are getting the good stuff now, and then the real fighting and debating, I feel like, is in our near future. That's the best part. So our numbers are good, huh? The people are listening. The people have been enjoying it. I I gotta say, shout out to all of the. And we talked about this on the last podcast, and we were addressing the Pat Fitzgerald. Um, you know, the other side of it being how awesome it is that someone could be in Minnesota and really care about Georgia, or in Nashville and be really into Washington and. Like when I'm looking at uh, the consumers of the Pac-12 shows, the Big 12 shows, I mean, it's I feel like our audience is is right there with us. They are as hardcore as uh, as our two these two humble hosts that you hear on the podcast. You know what? Like minds. You know, we're building a culture. Or this is <laughs> what is this year year three of the podcast? Yeah, it's it's year, year three? three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, this is when it starts to click. You know, this is when Dino Baber hit ten wins. Uh, so it's, it, yeah, this is about damn time. The, uh, the light Dino Babers always said the, uh, the light comes on about midway through year two and then, uh, <laughs> and then the big jump comes in year three. So yeah, I think, I think that, uh, I think that's what we're experiencing right now. 
we've recruited all of our own players at this point. All of our, you know, there's, we're not, uh, no leftovers from the previous podcast regime. We're ready to go. Um, as, uh, as, as we were looking at the, the Pac-12 media days that came through, a quick item I want to hit before we get into the win totals. Larry Scott indicating that the Pac-12 is considering a 9 a.m. Pacific time kickoffs. Now, that would there's a couple different ways to cut into this, but the, the initial media premise, the way that I understand it, is that you would also be contributing to what is a, a movement to make the noon slate a thing. Uh, Fox is trying to make the noon slate a thing, offering one of the premier Big Ten or Big 12 games right there in that noon slot after their new uh, pregame show, which will feature Urban Meyer uh, as well as others. So, you know, as, as the Pac-12 is considering its own move to the noon Eastern time window, again, 9 a.m. Pacific time, I believe Colorado would actually have the, uh, you know, the 10 a.m. in the mountain time. What were some of your initial reactions uh, to this? Because I think there's the player side, there's the coach's side, there is uh, the conference itself. How much stake are you putting into this this announcement, which did seem to resonate and reverberate throughout the college football community? Uh, well, I, I don't. I'm, I must have just been, you know, hunkered down in, in rankings talk because uh, I missed that and. That sounds, I mean, whatever, it's great as a consumer, it's fine, I'm sort of indifferent. Sure, I'll catch a, a, a an 11 a.m. Central Time Pac-12 North matchup, I guess. Like, I don't, I don't know what the, what the reason for it is, but I can tell you this, as you said that, my reaction to it is as a player, oh my God, that sounds terrible. Like you know how early those guys got to get up to to get their pregame meal in and I mean I I played in I played in noon kickoffs every week when I was in school and I hated it. Like I mean it was it was just reality so I didn't have much choice but I'm just saying when you compare that to a to a nighttime kick where you have sort of all day to get your mind right and you just sort of you build up for that evening Whereas in that those morning kickoffs, you're you know you're kind of getting the 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 sleep out of your eyes by 11 a.m. and I mean and I tell you who else is gonna like that though is coaches love that because then they get all evening to hang with their family which they don't get to do at all during the season so uh, I just I just uh, if I'm a player I'm I am throwing up a big X for that just just because I got to get up at 6 a.m. No, 5 a.m. I, was, I yeah, don't know. I, I was going to say 4.30. Like, 4:30? On, like yeah. look, looking at what the end, you know, stadiums normally open about four hours before kickoff. That means stadium staff has to be in place by 5 a.m. And if you're, you're driving in, like if you don't live in that college town, then you're, you're maybe driving in. You're getting up at 3.30 in the morning. Now... Yeah, the fan experience sucks, right? Fa- who, go, who wants to go to a... Uh, who wants to go to a sporting event at 9 in the morning? I well, don't know. there is a sporting event or a type of sporting events that do happen around that time. And it may... And, like, that's what, it, like, came to me as I said, oh, so the Pac-12 just wants to host a bunch of rec league soccer games. Where the dads are all out there with their coffee, and the kids have just been rolled out of bed. Their uniforms were thrown on them. 
Uh, you know, they, there's there's going to be all the donuts, and it'll be like yeah. a little breakfast bar. I mean, I was like, this just sounds like rec league soccer with a little like 9 a.m. kickoff time. And there are a lot of youth sports that start at 9, and, you know, college football players are used to early morning workouts. You know, there's there's a lot. So here's the, the argument. Uh, Chip Kelly was one of the coaches who did actually speak out saying that they would be interested in participating in this. And Chip Kelly said, he mentioned the other side of it. He said for the players to sit around all day for a 7 p.m. local time kickoff, which is that, you know, 10 p.m. Eastern time, that's about when, you know, the Pac-12 network drops one around 10. Normally ESPN or ESPN2 will get a 1030 in there. Um, you know, it's, it's like where you, where you bridge after the 8 PM Eastern time window is done. You're getting yourself over. It's about second quarter in the PAC 12 games. And Chip Kelly was presenting the view that to have to sit around all day on Saturday, waiting for that 7 PM kick. So many players, again, this is his view of it. Players would rather just, you know, get the game over with. And I, I sympathize with that. That's such a PAC 12 mentality, man. <laughs> like how so because, because what's the i mean the beauty of these night games is this is this sort of intense raucous atmosphere that you're walking into this um this arena of competition whereas you know the alternative is man let's just get it over with and and i've heard i mean i've heard that perspective too from players um and you know, and again, I, in college, I didn't play night games, and so I never, I never felt that anticipation all game. I always say, like, my least favorite part of every game was the national anthem because I hated just standing still while the national anthem played for two and a half minutes or whatever it was, like waiting for kickoff. So I do understand that anticipation, but the, but the idea that let's just get the game over with, I, I think is. It's very, I don't it's, know, it's, man. It's, it's be, very packed. It's hard for me to envision myself having that mentality. Like I think the the buildup to 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 grow to this sort of event is is what's fun about it. I think that that's uh that might be the key operating phrase. The Pac-12 is looking at a college football game and saying, "Let's just get it over with. Let's get these kids <laughs> showered and back to the dorms." Let's go. But like I said, the the coaches, the the I mean, I totally get the coaches' perspective, because for you know when they're working sixteen hour days all week and they can't see their family, like Saturday is actually a day when they do get some time. So they hate those Saturday night games because then you know you got to be sort of team activities all day long to occupy the players, and then you don't get home until two a.m. or whatever. Whereas the alternative is get the game over with by by one in the afternoon and then that's that rare occasion where you have all day with your family and so i i certainly get that and i don't i don't begrudge them that but uh that to me is a coach perspective not a player perspective but i could be wrong (laughs) i think i think that pac-12 schools would probably prefer to play at noon and the problem if you're trying to maximize the national TV window is that if you're playing at noon locally, you're going right up against just a swath of action in that 3 o'clock, 3.30 window uh, over in the East Coast and in Central Time. Well, it's funny that they're doing this to try to, I guess, get more visibility 
Well, they're exploring it. That they're exploring right. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. But you, but like you inform me about this, um, because presumably you paid some attention to their media day, which which just totally was wasn't even on my radar. Like I just forgot they were having it. While while like last week I was dialed into all the other media days, and then this week it's just Pac-12. I could have, you know. I didn't even know what was going on. Utah was picked to win. Yeah. Would they yeah. have, uh, I think they had Utah and Oregon as their division winners. Yeah. That's, that's, that's going a little too against the, there've been, there've been some preseason polls that have gone a little bit too much against the grain for my liking. What well, happened but to who the, was, who else, who should have, like, who would have been, who would you expect it to have been picked? Washington, Washington. No, no, I know, but in the South. Oh, uh, no, Utah being picked there is fine. It, it's, oh, but you're it, saying pick to win the whole thing? Correct. I got you. That was the, okay, all right. Okay, okay. We'll see. We'll, well see. That's another one, man. I, I mean, hey, I picked them I, I picked them to win the Pac-12, or I am, with at 11-1. and one, Yeah, I was going to say, you've got them at 10-2, and 11-1. But I don't know, man. Like, now that everybody else is, maybe I got to recalibrate. I don't want to be just part of the herd. Uh, so... But yeah, they're really, I think they're going to be pretty good. All right. Uh, you ready for it? Yeah, hit it. As much as I think it's the, the under Count is a safe up. play, like I can't even. Count them up. Count them up. How many kids are going to win this fall? I can't fathom who wins. How many kids are going to win this fall? I just can't. I don't see it. It's not, it's not on there. It's not, not the schedule I'm looking at. Unless there's another schedule somewhere. So the ACC's Atlantic Division conversation absolutely starts with the four-time, 15, 16, 17, eight, four-time ACC, four-time consecutively ACC champion uh, Clemson Tigers, heavily favored with one to six odds in Vegas uh, to win the league. They got all but three of the uh, votes to win the league at the media days, as I mentioned on the last podcast. And the, uh, the the win total here is reflective of that just sort of overwhelming nature of trying to consider Clemson and the fact of whether or not they would might even lose at any point. An over-under win total right now set at 11.5. Barton. That, they went 15-0 and last year. It is yeah. so hard to play high-level college football time and time again and always end up on the right side of all the of all of the breaks, whether they're lucky breaks or whether they're breaks that came because of the way that you prepared and the way that you executed. Are you are you willing to take that big step and say, nah, 12 and 0? Uh well, let me let me pose this question back to you. What what does what is the argument against 12 and 0? Like what does a what is the the circumstances, what are the circumstances and the mental um, approach and roster weaknesses on this team that lead to a one or two loss season? The Clemson defense is uniquely loaded up on the back end where previous years 
you have looked at that part of their defense as somewhere where you could go and get them a little bit. You know, uh, Kellen Mond lit them up for a whole bunch of yards as he was trying to storm Texas A&M back in College Station a year ago. Like, I, I think Nathan Peterman, you know, had had uh, Pittsburgh rolling in Death Valley in a game that Pitt went on to win. Um, you know, I, I think that when you're flipping it on the other side and you're saying, okay, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Kayvon Wallace, Tanner Muse, AJ Terrell, like they've, they've got some dudes on the back end of that defense. And while they have recruited well, and you know, you've got sort of like a budding potential star in Xavier Thomas. I think that the absence of those certainties on the defensive line that is that is what you circle if you're talking about the depth chart. And then the evidence to suggest otherwise is two items. One of them I just mentioned, Pittsburgh beating Clemson at home, a Clemson team that went on to win the national championship with Deshaun Watson, and then Syracuse beating Clemson on the road. Uh, that team did not go on to win the national championship, but it did go on to win the ACC. So the idea being... Clemson teams that have achieved the greatest of achievements for the most part are not totally invincible. 15 and 0 a year ago, yes, but there have been uh too many opportunities that were near losses and there have been too many games where or there have been those games where they lose to ACC opponents, ACC opponents that they were heavily favored against and you just play the odds and you look up and down the schedule and you say yeah, I could see them winning. I could see them losing one of those games. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm with you. I mean, the defensive line, uh, I'm not worried at all about their edge presence. They, you know, Xavier Thomas will be probably as good as any of those guys that just left, frankly. Um, they've got a bunch of other four- and five-star guys teed up. Excuse me, I'll just hit the hit the mic here. Teed up to go, um, and uh, but defensive interior, I, I'm not sure that they can just seamlessly replace Christian Wilkins and, and Dexter, Dexter Lawrence. Lawrence. You know, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that's that's pretty that's pretty meaningful and significant. Um, but I think their offense is probably this is. To me, this is probably going to be Clemson's best offense that they've ever fielded. I mean, if Trevor Lawrence is just like a like a shadow of what we seem to have decided he is, if I mean Travis Etienne is, we know what he is. I don't think there's any question what he is. Uh, Justin Ross is their best receiver, and. T. Higgins is going to go in the first or second round next year. Like that, I mean, there's so much talent at the skill positions. Their offensive line returns what three starters and has a five star stepping in as the potential, you know, Mitch Hyatt backfill. So offensively, there's just I have zero zero questions, and the back seven is I really have zero questions either. Uh, and defensive line, I'm, I'm not concerned, but there's, you know, you can bring up some uh, some areas where they gotta where they gotta, you know, ha- have a new face emerge. But so all that to say, like I'm, I'm not gonna put this won't be a lock, but I'm more 
comfortable with 12 and 0 than 11 and 1. But I could, I mean, look, I mean, A&M at Syracuse, you know, I don't know, at NC State maybe. I mean, there's just no I think those first three games, like the like the the A&M and Syracuse games, like if they go 3 and 0, then it's I, f- I feel like you're going to feel pretty good about your overpick. Clemson is potentially in that point too where Clemson's biggest enemy might be Clemson. Like we can't ignore like we can right. we can shower Dabo Sweeney and the culture and the mindset and everything that he does to bring that group together and get them on the same page and maintain focus, but I'm just I I am not putting it past Clemson to show up and have a bad game. And uh you know so there was Clemson's all over the preseason all ACC team and one of the conversation points was like would an all ACC team minus Clemson beat Clemson? And one of the more thoughtful responses to that was probably not, but maybe, but the score would be in the 40s. Like you'd have to set the over under. Like everyone seems to agree no one on that schedule is stopping Clemson. But if Clemson stops Clemson, are they elite enough? on the defensive line in other areas where, um, you know, that unit is going to be able to carry the, what carry the way because man, like even Dabo himself heading into, uh, you know, last season and the season before that talked about, you know, the strength of our, you know, we had our, our Taj Boyd, our Sammy Watkins, our new Copkins, but the, the strength of this team, it's, it's in the trenches. It's the offensive and defensive line and we're going to win games that way. And it kind of feels like we're back to that, it's almost like when Chad Morris first sort of uncorked his offense as the offensive coordinator for the Tigers. It's like, I, man, if you're going to beat Clemson, you just got to be ready to put 40 points on the board because I, I don't see anyone that's going to stop for four quarters, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Travis Etienne, Justin Ross, and T. Higgins from finding the end zone. And I think I did see some of that floating around, the you know, who wins all ACC or Clemson. And – I can't help as you're saying that to think about all right, like this is this is the first exercise in Uber hype. Oh yeah, for, yes. for this team. And when have like when have we seen this before? Well, USC versus Texas. The build up to that, all we were talking about was like the bracket for like USC. Um, you know, the, I'm talking the USC team that they lost to Vince Young. You know, the, the, the buildup for that was like Kirk Herbstreet, like breaking down these hypothetical games between the all time great football teams in, in college football history. And uh, then they go and lose to Texas. And then last year, can Alabama beat an NFL team? And then they go and lose to Clemson. And, you know, if this, if this, <laughs> if we're already having these sort of exercises with Clemson, then there is certainly like precedent that they're going to trip up at some point just based on the nature of um, kind of the the mental psyche of college kids. It's really easy to feel good about yourself when everyone around you is reinforcing that idea. Really easy. Coming up next... We are taking a look at the NC State Wolfpack. We'll get into them and the rest of the Atlantic Division next.
the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Dave Doran's NC State Wolfpack win total set at seven and a half. Uh, At the risk of, this is the perfect number because um, I feel like we both have settled into that familiar talking point that it is a compliment, but also suggests that we believe there is a ceiling to think that any NC State season, no matter what the personnel is, if we are here in the Dave Doran era, yeah, it's probably a seven or eight win team. So here we are right at seven and five. Barton, is it a seven or eight win team? This, the ACC, and maybe even specifically the ACC Atlantic, is like the, and I don't know if you tell me, you might not feel this way because you're kind of an ACC country. But to me, this is like the most anonymous conference in college football. It's like this. <laughs> You know, NC State's just going to roll out a bunch of tough front seven guys and they'll have some big receiver and a pretty good run game and and that's them. And they'll be in this seven or eight win territory. And Boston College is going to be this really physical run game and they're going to finish seven and five. And then there's Wake Forest that's going to be uh, – a steady improvement year over year, Dave Clawson, but you don't really know who any of their stars are and they're going to be seven and five. And then there's, you know, it's just like all these teams are just, they're, they're just sort of this, these kind of anonymous teams that fluctuate between nine and six wins. And, uh, and so NC state I think is, and particularly this year, even more so um, than than the last few, I think is is kind of falls into that. And I'm I'm concerned about the quarterback position. I'm not concerned about the running back position, where Ricky Person is is I think really good. Um, you know, I think that they defensively are probably going to be pretty good. I mean, I know their linebackers are really good, even though they lose Jermaine Pratt. Um, I'm on the under at seven and five, but it's just uh, there's a there's some Syracuse, BC, Wake Forest type toss ups in there that could flip this thing pretty easily, and uh, so I don't know how you I don't know how you confidently decide which of that group is better than the next. I think that the anonymity and to say anonymous 
is very telling for the general perception of the league because NC State probably would be occupying this same territory. Boston College should be happy to not should be happy, but Boston College is happy to occupy that territory. And it is the absence of a Virginia Tech, which ran off nothing but double digit win seasons from 2004 to 2011, and Miami in Florida State from feeling like you've you've got just some so like that th- that is not anonymous the ACC is no longer anonymous if Clemson is winning 12 games but then it's uh Virginia Tech Miami and Florida State all winning nine or ten and then your NC State and your Boston College is winning seven or eight it's the fact that uh, Florida State and Virginia Tech and Miami have slid back into that sort of seven to nine win, uh, you know, mess that bubble, that bloated middle that probably brings the feeling like it is anonymous. Yes. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that unless like major changes happen, uh, you're, you're looking at NC state as a team that we should be put in a nine and a half win total on. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and and they 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 just lost this quarterback that was had for two years been talked about as a first round draft candidate and was sort of this steady Eddie guy back there. And I mean, they've 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 lost some pretty good playmakers at receiver too. And I and I mean, I just think um, they've got to really. I mean, just where where does where is their breakthrough? Like, where is their, um, and uh, you know, and, and this they year missed in particular, it. they missed it. Know, the the break the breakthrough year already came and went without an ACC championship. And this year they got to do it replacing an offensive line coach who's really good. They got to replace a offensive coordinator who's got a head coaching job. They've got to replace a co-defensive coordinator who got a D-coordinator job. Um, you know, it's just – I think there'll be a tough out for people. But I don't But I don't think this is now – like this, this isn't the time, I don't think, to to, to throw your, your chips down on NC State. Maybe that's next year. But um, I feel I feel like 7-5 and five is about right this year. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm taking the under on this one. I think seven and five is about right. But I will reiterate that, uh, and you you talk about this a lot. The key, the reason why Dave Doran is still at NC State, and the reason why he has established a level of consistency that has them not really dropping off. You know, it is it is seven, eight, nine wins pretty much every year. I mean, year seven for Dave Doran. The reason why it's working is because they've got an elite strength and conditioning program that has produced NFL players year over year. I mean, Jermaine Pratt was not, uh, when he showed up at NC state, that was not someone correct me if I'm wrong, but like, that's not somebody who people were like, that is going to be an NFL player, you know, uh, Bra- safety. He came there as a safety, Brad, yeah. Bradbury on the offensive line, um, came there as a tight end. Yeah. It's just, the, the strength and conditioning program at NC State, led by D'Antonio Burnett, who played for NC State, is elite. And because of that, I don't need to know the names. I just know they're going to be right. good, and they're going to be yeah. tough. I think that's important just to, to clarify, too. Like Being an anonymous team isn't always bad. In some ways, it's, it's sort of 
it doesn't they just roll out the next guy that's been adding 15 pounds of mass every year for the past three years and now it's his turn to be a bully like it's just sort of um yeah like it's not always a a negative to be anonymous in this case it's you know it's we're we're kind of putting a ceiling on on them to a degree because we're we don't have expectations that they have eleven one seasons, but um, we also are putting a pretty high floor. Agree. Count them up. Florida State next up in our ACC Atlantic win totals analysis and over under that we're working with set at seven. Uh, Willie Taggart spoke uh, appeared to me as a man that has been humbled by a five and seven season. He. He showed up and he, he acknowledged that there were a lot of mistakes made. He acknowledged that he learned a lot and that there was maybe a lot more uh, in the the Florida State head coaching job that was just going to come with time. And we've talked a, a little bit, a good bit about Taggart throughout this time. So as it comes to as it comes to looking at the schedule and trying to count up the potential wins with a over under of seven, uh, where are you sitting? And by the way, this is another kind of anonymous team, which is which adds to this at least for me, perception, because Florida State, suddenly, like, it's just this mismatch of underachieving four stars. Right. Like, you can't tell the one from the other. They're all just kind of collectively underachieving. And you remember the names, but at this point, you don't know who's trending up. You don't know who's trending down. You you just, they're just kind of all in there putting together five and seven seasons, or at least they did last year. So, I think this is a, for that reason, like this is a really tough team to, to pick. I mean, does Willie Taggart turn the corner? Does I, I, I do think that Kendall Bryles is right there along with Graham Harrell is maybe one of the most important hires of the offseason and maybe Randy Clements as well, the offensive line coach. Can, like, can they just get a competent offensive line? That's the real question. I mean, Landon Dickerson, who's been injured and and – but it was supposed to be a starter. He transfers out to Alabama. You know, supposedly their best returning player, Cole Minshew, is you know he he's uh, hopefully healthy. But he had like neck surgery this off season. Um, you know, they they le- they're leaning on a Northern Illinois grad transfer, who was this sort of exciting commitment, and he wasn't first, second, or third team all Mac. So is he really going to be some savior on the offensive line? Like there's just – so if their offensive line is competent and if they are able to get in the way a little bit, then, you know, give the – give the broils to Randy Clements or Art Bryles. um, I'm sorry, Kendall Bryles. um, Because, I mean, that's that's a – that's quite an accomplishment. Um but that's all. But uh, you know, in the, in the system they're running, like maybe that's all they need is just just a little bit of, 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 you know, just just a lack of ineptitude. And if they can pull that off, then this could be a pretty good team because I do think that you know they've got really good players on the defensive line. Their secondary wasn't great last year, but they're it's so talented. They're really talented. God, I mean, God, they're really talented in the secondary, and so. I've got them. Uh, Would you say the number is seven and a half? Uh, seven. Seven. I mean, I've got them over. I've got them. At, I'm actually. I've actually got them at eight and four. Seven and five seems reasonable too. 
Uh, if it's six and six, then that's a bad look for Willie Taggart. I'm doing it. I'm biting on it. I think I've got Florida State at nine and three. Wow. I'm jumping on the other side of this the same way I think I'm jumping on the other side of USC, where I'm just like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a second, guys. Hold on a second. Are we sure that this is all just like already failed? It's going to crash and burn. Like it's the mistake, like the wrong guy was already picked and nothing is going to be fixed or improve at all until you get someone else in there. Like Clay Helton's been at USC for much longer, but it's that same just premise of, you just look down and you think, well, you know, if it's all doom and gloom uh, in terms of the narrative and, and you're trying to look for some value and you're trying to to maybe pl- have a contrarian play, I love the idea that Florida State might be a contrarian play. So, you know, at seven, I'm over. At seven and a half, I'd be over. At eight, I'd be over. At eight and a half, I'd probably back off. Because I don't have the push in there, but I'm thinking this is a nine and three, eight and four type season for Florida State, and that we are reminded that Cam Akers is just like an elite level athlete who can be a difference maker in college football in the same way that Devin Singletary became one of the most prolific backs in the country at FAU with Kendall Bryles as the offensive coordinator and play caller, and in the same way. That FAU's uh, offense wasn't exactly as explosive and high-powered after he left. I'm going to think that he brings uh, a lot of opportunity for Florida State to cause problems. You know, I think that the Boise State game's a win. You go ULM. I think Louisville, NC State. I think the I think they beat Miami. I think that I just I just think that this is going to be a time where uh, a little bit of a gut check moment for a Seminoles team that thought it had already seen rock bottom and then 2018 revealed that they still needed to go further down. Yeah. Uh, where, where do you see, like, you've got them losing to Clemson? Yeah. Do you have them losing at Florida? Not necessarily. Okay. And, there, right. and, there's, and there's some rivalry spice in that, you know? Sure. Um, I think at, uh, here's my danger spots for Florida State at Virginia September 14th October 12th at Clemson Syracuse at home October 26th Miami November 2nd at Florida so I've got five games there as potential losses and I'm saying they can go two and three in those five games yeah yeah and then I mean I've, I've got them I've got them one and three, what is it? Uh, I've got them two and three in those games. Um, but I also have them like losing at BC. You know, I think they're, they're, they're still, I don't think they're the type of team you're just going to trust to win all the games they're supposed to win either. Yeah, that's not where I am anyways. But look, they're, they're talented enough to get to nine and three. There's no question they're talented enough to get to nine and three. Um, you trust them a little more than I do, but not a lot. I still got them eight and four. So this will be... Uh, should be we'll see, we'll see how right or wrong we are. Count them up. Dave Clawson and the Wake Forest Demon Deacons are feeling themselves right now. They got brand new facilities. You know, they got all these uh all these bowl wins that they're starting to stack up. I mean, it is there is a confidence coming from Winston Salem in the football program that you would not normally associate with Wake Forest football, but Dave Clawson has injected it. He is, uh, he's got a 
couple different quarterbacks, whether it's Jamie Newman or whether it's Sam Hartman. Both of them played last year. Both of them won last year. Cade Carney coming back is just a a, a short, um, let's just say a compact bulldozer of a running back. You know, Sage Surratt going into his sophomore year. I think the offense can be pretty, pretty good. You got some challenges on the defensive side with some key players to replace. Over under win total, uh, as we're looking at it right now, set at seven. Don't forget that non-con against UNC. That's a non-con. Uh, how do you uh, how are you looking at the Demon Deacons? Uh, well, I've got them starting. Let's see. You said the number is at seven. Yeah. Well, I've got them six and zero oh to start. So. I, you know, and, and you might and as well I, extend that to seven because after Wakey leaks, I don't think Dave Clawson's ever losing to Louisville. No, I've got because that's Louisville's game six. One, two, okay. three, four, five, yeah, six. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And then they got Florida State. That's where. So I, I think they're six and one. They push by November second with NC State coming home, and then they win one of their last four. So I've got them at eight. Uh Let's see. What is this? Year six for Clausen? Yeah. So it was three and nine. Three and nine. Uh, it was six and six to seven and six. It was seven and five to eight and five. And then last year was, you know, we, <laughs> we always like to talk about the, the steady c- – climb of a Dave Clausen team last year was supposed to be nine and three right it was it was uh, or at least eight and four I guess um, and they took a step back they had some injuries changed D coordinators I, I think they really found somebody that they like in Lyle Hemphill a defensive coordinator and I think that they they kind of get back to that eight and four year they're supposed to have last year so I'm going eight and four with all these Redshirt freshmen, now redshirt juniors, like all this program building, all this you know improved recruiting, and they do a, that staff. I think does one of the better jobs of evaluating and finding guys. I just I, hey man, I'm just betting on this this Wake team to be the type of squad, and they got two competent quarterbacks returning now. Um, I just I like them at eight and four. Over. Absolutely over. And I and this is another one where I can't set you know, I do feel like I am putting a ceiling on Wake Forest, but I cannot I cannot drive home how confident I feel about a seven or eight win season as opposed to a six win season. And I love Dave Clawson's talking about the uh the transfer portal and you know the transfer culture. He said, "We I think I, I might mess up the number, but I'm I definitely close. He said, we had 11 guys who are going to be fifth-year seniors who all had the opportunity, according to the new rules, to go and transfer someone, somewhere else to play for their final year of eligibility uh, as graduate transfers, and every single one of them decided to stick around at Wake for their final year. Like, they truly have driven in this – Everyone red shirts. Every you know, we slowly build this thing up. Here's the pipeline, and all of these players that want to play their fifth year, 
senior year at Wake where they've been the entire time and not want to leave, that's uh, that's some very, very impressive stuff by Clawson and the staff. Yeah, I don't even understand. Like, like I, the, I don't want to sound like I'm a uh, – like an old curmudgeon, but I don't, I really don't get playing like with your squad for four years and your guys in your locker room and going to battle with them every day and practicing with them every day. And then fifth year comes along and you're, you start shopping for just a little more playing time somewhere with a whole different group group of guys. And I mean, uh, circumstances are unique across the board and and obviously not every situation is just sort of as simple as that but I do think if generally speaking that is a that's a good reflection on the culture you built the um, the connection you built within your program if everybody has that perspective um, and they're not sort of tempted so yeah I think that's a I think that is a that's a it's a good stat to point to if I'm talking about like program stability um, you brought it up on the cover three podcast during the off season when you were, you listed the, the schools with the most transfer portal action and the schools with the least transfer portal action. And more often than not, not necessarily exclusively in wins or losses, but in terms of just, uh, an anecdotal perception of program health. I remember the schools with the least amount of transfer portal action were the ones that we found ourselves being like, yeah, I think, I think that is a healthy program. Yeah. And then, yeah, uh, sure. Lovey Smith who builds a new <laughs> roster every single year. <laughs> Not, no bueno. Yeah. Count them up. The Boston college Eagles, uh, as we head into, uh, Steve Adazio year seven, um, with the Eagles. And when we were, you know, he came up as we were discussing uh, coaches. You know, the the argument for Steve Adazio is, well, you know, if, if you're Boston College, like, you should want the kind of steady results that Steve Adazio is able to deliver. I mean, seven wins in four out of the last five years. They're going to bowl games. They're usually good for about maybe a game or two that's going to uh, – you know, cause a little bit of a ripple effect throughout college football, whether it's, you know, knocking off, uh, I guess, USC. Uh, maybe that might have been a long – USC was back in 2014. Um, but the the this team, especially with A.J. Dillon, now finally healthy, there there's a lot of optimism but also just kind of comfort in knowing that the program seems to be in good hands. Our over-under win total here is set at six and a half – so how are you feeling about seven win Steve going into his seventh year? I mean, what kind of idiot is going to pick them to go anything other than seven and five? I, I'm going under. <laughs> there's, Chip, they're seven and five. I know. Steve Adazio is a seven and five coach. This is a seven and five team. Why, why are you trying to go against the universe here? Like, I, I, need, are, the, are I you, need the wins. Do you know better than the cosmic – Forces that align to make Steve Adazio seven and five every year. No, I I need the wins. You know, I, I I treat the I treat the activity with slight amount or some amount of integrity, such that I know that all these can't be overs. And as I'm trying to explain why I'm so bullish on Florida State and why I'm so bullish on Wake Forest, 
Uh, I understand that that means that there need to be losses elsewhere, and I'm not ready to say that Boston College is going to go five and seven or four and eight. No, 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 no. But I do think, I do think it's possible that uh, that we could see this Boston College team at six and six at the end of the season. Well, good luck with that, my <laughs> friends. <laughs> but you know, one plus one does not equal three. I'm not going to look at black and call it red you know this this is what it is man this is a seven and five team once again they have some flaws you know they lost a lot in the secondary and anthony campanile who who's was the their their secondary coach has gone to michigan and uh who who did a phenomenal job so you know what maybe they're not as good in the secondary but maybe aj Dillon is healthy this year and with a healthy A.J. Dillon, with a beat-up A.J. Dillon, that dude was still a beast last year. Um, their defensive line is a little bit depleted from, from last year. And yet, Anthony Brown probably takes a step forward. And Kobe White is ready to be a big-time receiver in that conference. And... Uh, there's certainly some losses, but there's a bunch of toss-ups that they're going to figure out a way to win. And so I got them beating Virginia Tech, beating Richmond, beating Kansas, beating Rutgers, losing to Wake, beating Louisville, beating NC State, losing to Clemson, losing to Syracuse, beating Florida State, Whoa. losing to Notre Dame, losing to Pitt. Wow, you, I mean, there's some – and that's your 7-5? and five? That's my seven and five. That, there's some big swings in that seven and five, Barton. Isn't that how it works with 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 Boston College, though? It is. I mean, that's what I said. Like, yes, they they're gonna get somebody for sure. No Lucas Dennis, no Hamp Cheevers. Uh, you know, you lose Zach Allen. I mean, this there's some real key players on that defensive side of the ball that have played a lot at a high level, and I again. I need to afford Boston College some of the same confidence that I put on NC State that their player development has been amazing, at least in terms of where these guys are as freshmen and not only how their bodies change, but also just how their skill set has improved and their techniques improved such that the NFL seems to come calling every single year uh, to Chestnut Hill. So I, I need to allow myself that same chance to say, you might not know the next guy's names up, but by October you will. But, you know, again, as we're trying to choose some of these, like I think I go Virginia Tech where you went Boston College. Um, you know, right. I, I think that I've got them, the Clemson and Syracuse game are losses. I think I've got Notre Dame and Pitt as losses. I think I've got Florida State as a loss. Like I, I can get I can get to six losses pretty quickly, but because of the confidence in Steve Adazio in general, I'm not ready to say that this is definitely not a bowl team, but I will jump on the underside of six and a half. Understandable, you know. I, I just uh, I, I believe in the forces of nature. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I'll let you. I'll let you go against that. Count them up. And now, just like the most bewildering uh, number that we've got in our our little data set here, because uh, the ACC again just seems to be starkly in contrast on the win totals board and the preseason order of finish. I mean, Barton, 
all the praise that I put on Dino Babers and this orange team and where I think they can be in the ACC this year. And this win total's at five? Something's wow. got to be wrong here, right? Uh, see, I hadn't, I don't even, I hadn't even really, I had looked at my projected wins and without looking at the win totals prior to this podcast. So I'm finding out in real time. And the, 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 that five number is, is, uh, I'd really sent my head spinning there because I, I was sort of leaning towards a, a dip year. And then I, you know, I find out that they're, being picked second in the division by and you're telling me that they're going to be really good and I I kind of read up on them and maybe the pieces are a little better than I expected and so now I don't know what to think man I've got them at eight and four after this but that's sort of after I've I've been influenced but to think that to pick under you got to pick them a four and eight kind of dip whoo that's a lot to ask for an under. So even if there are potential pitfalls as you're trying to to like total up the wins, November, Duke, Louisville, Wake Forest. So there sh- there are two to three wins right there at the end of the schedule. Like yeah, Hugh Freeze and Liberty could be tough. Uh, Maryland absolutely like could be a little bit challenging. We've seen Maryland play really well in non-conference games. Uh, Recently. But I mean, Clemson. Sh- I mean, Syracuse should be favored in four of their first five games. Right. Then right? Western Michigan and Holy Cross. They sh- they should, or ideally, the way that I'm adding this up, they start four and one. They finish at worst two and one. And look, now we're six and two, looking at a little uh, middle four of at NC State, Pitt at Florida State, Boston College at home. All those are losable. I will grant you, all of those are losable. But even if you lose all of those games in this worst case scenario that I've painted out, you're still six and six. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm. I, this is this is this is the toughest, you know. And this is another anonymous team to me because they just got a bunch of like, kind of fast outside receivers and undersized but athletic defensive players and. You know, now they now they toss in Tommy DeVito, who's he's definitely a, a different quarterback than Eric Dungy. But in some ways, like you can maybe argue that Tommy DeVito is more equipped for this offense than Eric Dungy because he's got a really big vertical arm. Like he can arm strength is not a problem for Tommy DeVito. Downfield throws, I won't don't expect to be a problem. I guess you know we got to make sure he's accurate on those downfield throws, but. He'll be able to stretch the field. Um, you know, I mean, they've got, what, Mo Neal coming back at running back and then Abdul Adams, who's the Oklahoma transfer, who's a talented player too. Um, <clears throat> I, You know, I, I don't know. Like, I was just looking around the conference in my early, you know, fade Syracuse thoughts. I was just looking around the conference and I just felt less – um, I felt a little bit less secure in kind of what was coming back. Uh, you know, I just didn't quite have as good of a sense of the roster maybe as some of these other teams. Uh, and then I got talked into them being better than that. And like now I just sort of, I'm just sort of, 
I'm, I'm a mess now, Chip. <laughs> eight and four is probably the right call. Cause, you uh, think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that split. What does Vegas know, though? That they are here's what I think Vegas is doing. Vegas is looking at a team that in four out of the last five years has not won more than four games. And with all the losses, I mean, you're only returning six starters on offense, seven on defense. You are just sort of doing some mathematical calculations that are like, if you're losing this percentage of production, then we are going to assume this. And I believe that the general program development that has been going suggests a a not directly linear trajectory, but it is not something where one senior class really held the entire team together, and now that they're gone, it's all going to fall apart. I just don't think that's what Dino Babers put in place. Yeah. I mean, Dino Babers, as a head coach... He left after two years at Eastern Illinois. He left after two years at Bowling Green. And this will be year four at Syracuse. Like, we've never really seen him have to sustain. Correct. Um, And so this will be an interesting test for him. But uh, that's just – I'm I'm actually, like, even though I'm a good three wins in my projection over – the win total, like I will not be making this one one of my locks, only because I just don't I don't feel like I've got a good enough handle on what this team's going to look like. But I think it's going to be, we're still going to be entertaining and fun, and like that's still going to be, it's the type of team that is going to be a dangerous road trip for Florida State. It's going to be a it's going to be a game that Clemson takes seriously though. Um, so it, it's it's. All right, I'm hooked. I'm ready to watch Dino. To, to, you know, I'm ready to see what he can do. If I said it at six and a half, what do you do? I mean, I'm on the over. If you said it at seven, if like if the line was seven and a half, and I'm I, even though I'm predicting eight right now, like I would be tempted to take the under and just say, you know what, I just got my doubts. Right. But um, I can't go to. I can't. I'm not going to project four and eight. I just right. can't get there. Right. If you set it at five, then you're you're setting up an underplay suggests that there is just like nothing, that they're going to lose to Liberty, they're going to lose to Maryland, their wins are going to be Western Michigan and Holy Cross and Louisville and maybe one other. And they're going to lose all the rest of them and finish near the bottom of the ACC standings. And I don't think anybody within the Syracuse program, and I don't think any – of the coaches outside of the Syracuse program in the ACC believe that we're going to be looking up at the end of the year and see the orange at the bottom of the standings. Yeah. It's not going to happen. That's a head scratcher there, man. How many games are going to win this fall? And finally, uh, we come to the Louisville Cardinals, Scott Satterfield taking over with, uh, the expectations are very much year zero, uh, similar to what we dealt with with Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech, which also was set at four. Um, you know, you were there in the building. Are, are you going to have, is this going to be the Barton bump? You come back from the visit and uh, we're thinking six and six breakthrough season? <laughs> well, tell me what the number is here. What, what am I working with? Four. Okay. I I actually sort of, so what, one of my Syracuse wins that I flipped 
after you sort of talked me into them being better than I expected was was Louisville. Mm-hmm. So that that took them from a five win projection for me to a four win projection. So I'm so I'm on a push to over hinging on where I feel like where I feel like Syracuse falls into this thing. But you know, I feel like I've talked a little about Louisville on this th- pod before, but I mean I'm I'm really I think that I think that they're going to be more competitive than people are going to give them credit for because last year was was just a it was a ridiculous season with ridiculous circumstances with a team that had quit on a coaching staff that had quit and uh, and and if you have talent and Louisville doesn't have a ton of talent but they have talent they've got you know Makai Becton their left tackle is an NFL offensive lineman uh, they've got one of the better wide receiving groups in the ACC uh They've got 10 starters coming back on a defense, and I get that it was a bad defense, but it was a defense that was coached by Brian Van Gorder. Uh, it is, I think, so So, what I'm getting at is it's when you're that bad, when your coaches are that disengaged, when you have that, mu- that little connection to who is – dog cussing you every day in practice, then I think it's going to be really, really easy to buy in to the next staff. So because that buy-in is going to be so, um, you know, so easy to find. And because I think this new coaching staff is really good. And not just from a culture standpoint, but I'm talking about you watch them play at app state. Those guys are, really well coached, they're disciplined, but they're also like the scheme is good. I mean, defensively, they're active. They can they can they can be really effective with s- sort of smaller players. Um, offensively, they're going to have to figure out how to get some confidence in the quarterback and Puma pass, but um, but no. I, I, I mean, that's kind of why I feel better about them than most. Uh, and I would lean over just for the sake of the you know, the kind of picking like just regardless of where the wins come from just betting that they exceed people's expectations and if those expectations are four then i think they got a shot at five i'm i'm push to under and i think it'll hinge on like here's the way i view it i think that it is possible the cards could go three and oh against their in-state opponents that's eastern kentucky western kentucky and the Wildcats with the and that game, by the way, uh, at the end of the season is in the big checkout line, Kroger Field. Um, I think that Louisville, especially by the end of that season, you know, it's all about you know what what are you playing for? Where's everyone at? Like that game right there. I think that that could be a game where Scott Satterfield and all of the intangibles that he has brought to that program can come together, and that could be a a big big win for the Cards at the end of the season. And so. I think that they could go 3-0 and there, but I don't feel super confident that they have more than one ACC win. I mean, to so their cross divisions from the Coastal are going to be at Miami and against Virginia. Like, I kind of I kind of think that's a little bit tough. Uh, in the division, I certainly have them in a 
power ranking discussion slotted at the bottom of the ACC Atlantic. And if I had to identify a spot where they might be able to get a win, I, I think it's probably against uh, Boston College at home coming off a bye. But the in it, my inability to see more than one, maybe two, but like definitely more than one ACC win uh, combined with a non-conference schedule that does include Notre Dame, that's where I'm like, I think four and eight sounds perfect. And it's a four and eight that'll be a two win increase from the year before and finish with the win against your rival Kentucky Wildcats. Like that can be a, a building block for the cards moving forward, but to to automatically s- slot them necessarily ahead of a Wake Forest or to automatically slot them ahead of a Syracuse or ahead of a Florida State, I think that that's a little bit more than I'm willing to do given sort of where that program was last year. Yeah, I mean, I think four and eight. That's why I was hoping the number would be a little lower. But I mean, four and eight, with no fifty to ten losses to anyone other than Clemson, would be a huge win. I would, I would imagine. I, I think agree. People would feel pretty, pretty content with the Scott Satterfield hire at four and eight, uh, and a competitive four and eight. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, um, I feel a little bit like I'm on. I just I gave out a bunch of overs here in the ACC Atlantic, but I'm telling you I've done I've done the work here, the the numbers work out uh, on my schedules. So maybe I've just got them going like undefeated, like the ACC Atlantic is like undefeated in the non-conference maybe on my schedules, with the exception of Notre Dame games. Um, maybe that's how the numbers work, the math works. But uh, I don't know. Maybe somehow I'm all of a sudden bullish on this. Seven and five conference on the yeah, on on this previously stated anonymous <laughs> uh, anonymous coast conference, the ACC. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe you do feel a little bit better. Got the ACC going batting a thousand in the non-con, at least on the Atlantic side. <laughs> uh, next week we are going to be rolling out our Big Ten win total, so make sure that you subscribe if you haven't done that already. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Deserve. <laughs>